man, we need that right now. We need that. And I think our little students, whatever this world becomes, they need to know that our humanity is contagious. Hello and welcome to Beyond Networking, the show where we help you build a sustainable career in an unpredictable world. If you learn to weave a network of people who trust you, who feel heard, understood, and valued in your presence, there will always be someone willing to hire you, buy from you, or work with you. So what are you waiting for? Let's go Beyond Networking. Well, hello, I'm Brian Miller. In case you're new here, I'm a former professional magician turned author, speaker, coach, and consultant on human connection. Some quick business. The Leadership Mastermind opens its doors in mid-May. Anxiety is up and morale is down. Your team, organization, community, clients, and customers are looking for someone to lead them through the crisis and write the rules of the new future. Shouldn't it be you? We've already had one truly exceptional individual sign up and a whole lot more on the public waiting list. There are only six seats available, and if this continues, we won't even make it to the public launch. The Leadership Mastermind is a three-month, deeply rewarding accountability program. It consists of six group calls, three individual coaching sessions with me, and access to all recordings from all sessions for life. So if you're ready to leverage the power and perspective of your peers to develop creative solutions to pressing problems in your life and business, we need you. After all, all of us are smarter than any of us. To learn more and schedule your free discovery call, head to the show notes on beyondnetworkingpodcast.com and click the appropriate link. You'd never know from the language in the intro clip to this episode, quote, humanity is contagious, but we recorded this conversation months before the pandemic hit North America. My guest this week is not psychic, but she is a teacher. Morgan Michael is an elementary school educator, professional development instructor, and podcast host. Her podcast, Kindsight 101, is about the mobilizing power of kindness in and out of the classroom. In fact, she was recently nominated for a Canadian Podcast Award. I had the great pleasure of being a guest on Morgan's show in the fall of 2019, and it was a true honor to get to flip the script. We talked about the difference between walking through the world as a teacher versus a podcaster, what's changed in education over the last decade, emotional regulation in kids and adults, how to connect with anyone, and of course, Morgan shares two beautiful stories of chance encounters. One that is thoroughly moving, and one that is sure to give you secondhand embarrassment. Now, remember, we recorded this months before the 2020 pandemic. Given the current state of education and the uncertainty over its future, this conversation may at times feel anachronistic, like we're talking about some distant memory that wasn't just two months ago. And for that reason, I hopped on a quick video chat with Morgan just a few days ago. We talked about the current crisis and how it's affecting her as both a teacher and as a parent whose kids are currently engaged in remote learning. That addendum will be available to subscribers via the community email. It's free to subscribe. 
Just head to Beyond Networking Podcast and toss your email into the box. We'd love to have you join the human connection revolution. Remember to stay tuned all the way until the end of the episode for my three biggest takeaways. And now, please welcome the lovely and brilliant Morgan Michael. Morgan, thank you so much for being here. I really do appreciate your time. Brian, I'm so thrilled to be on your podcast. I'm really excited. Yeah, I've, I've been looking forward to this. Uh, I've been looking forward to being able to flip this script because we had such a great conversation on, uh, on yours, which I'm sure we'll get into here. But let's start the place that I always start. And as someone who I know actually listens to my show, I know that you have a sense of where these questions are coming. <laughs> so I've actually tried to change it up for you just a little nice. bit. But let's start the place why I usually start. If you're at a cocktail party, a social gathering. These days, if someone asks you, what do you do? How do you answer? Right. So it really does depend on who I happen to be with. So I am an educator. I teach grade one. I have for over 10 years now, either kindergarten, grade one or grade two. And so if I'm at a function with other educators or administrators, I tend to lean more heavily on my educator background. Now, that's changed quite a bit since I've started my podcast. So I do often lead with, depending on the the clientele or who I'm around, I will also say I have a podcast. And so that often actually gets more interested looks than the teacher response where a lot of people go, oh, that's cute, and then kind of move on. So if I want to keep someone more entertained or, or to have a longer conversation, I tend to lead with the podcast angle. But if I, uh, if I want to get out of there quick, it's the educator response. Yeah. <sighs> that, that's so funny. I, I had the same experience starting just, just, you know, last year, basically, where I, for, you know, for 10 years, it was so easy when I would say I'm a magician and people go, oh, what? And then they have all these interesting questions. Once I became a speaker, I got no interesting response. I don't even know what that means. You know, you're an author. Uh, I don't know. People write. But then all of a sudden, podcast host got crept into my bio and in my live introductions, and I could see audiences go, he has a podcast? What <laughs> What do you think it is about being a podcast host that right now is is more interesting than something which, I, which is m- more important, which is being a teacher, especially a teacher of young <laughs> kids, which is where it all starts, right? Like, we'll get into that. But why do you think people are more interested in podcast host? Oh, Brian, that's such a good question. I think, and this is something that I think I've really learned to embrace more in my life, but I think there's a certain element of awe that comes with seeing someone else pick a life for themselves that is totally different than a life that perhaps they've they've envisioned for themselves. And so when I think about educators or I think about administrators in the education field, quite often that podcaster introduction is met with that sense of either awe or surprise or just they have assumptions around maybe who I am. And there's a certain element of, oh, that's fun. I've always dreamt of doing something like that, but for whatever reason, maybe haven't stepped into it. Or there's the connection to, oh, I love podcasts. I have, you know, five or six that I have currently that I'm listening to. And so there's suddenly that connection because I think podcasting is this amazing conduit for learning. And so to be part of that, to know somebody who's part of that is kind of exciting. And especially that point about picking yourself, the fact that 
you know, and this is something that Seth Godin talks about quite eloquently and, and really has introduced the topic to me, this idea that you do not have to ask for permission to do the things that light you up. And so I think that's part of it too. I love that that whole you don't have to ask for permission and that that intersection with where technology has gone, right? I feel like we hear a lot lately about how all the downsides of technology and all the dangers and the privacy issues and data breaches and all this stuff. But then there's this unbelievable upside that I feel like is getting lost in the negativity right now, which is there's no barriers to entry anymore. If you want it, you get it. Like you go do that thing. And I think maybe the reason that people are so interested that you, you know, you're a podcast host as opposed to being a teacher as a teacher is there's a blueprint for that. If you want to be a teacher here, just do these three things. Right. Now, you said it's easy, but here's the here's the process. If you do them, you will be a teacher. But then there's the other side of it. Right. Which is that. Being a podcast host, you just you have this opportunity to actually teach and do education and inspire learning, but in a non-traditional environment. And obviously, you mentioned Seth already. You know, you and I uh, came to know each other through Seth Godin and his kind of global community that he's he's built. And he talks so much about the education revolution and kind of you know what's changing. So I I'd love to really dig into to teaching and learning and the traditional classroom setting versus maybe a podcast. Let's start here though. You're a teacher, you're an educator. What does that mean to you? Mm, great question. I've thought about that a lot. A lot, a lot lately. And I think as a I'm a mother, so I have a five and a half year old and a three and a half year old. Half really matter at this age. <laughs> and I've thought about that because I mean I'm I've been in it for over 10 years. So I've been a teacher. I've always wanted to be a teacher. And I think when I first set out, it was to really impact kids and to be a trusted, warm adult that it sort of gave them the belief that they could be anything they wanted to be. And I think within my practice now, I still hold that thread. But I think becoming a parent has sort of elevated my big why, I guess. Mm -hmm. It's gone beyond the how and the what, which I think a lot of educators are quite good at. The curriculum tells us what to teach. And then a lot of our professional development kind of pushes us to think about really effective ways of of how to teach, right? Mm -hmm. And so I've really dug more deeply into the why. And I look at the way that our current, I guess the social realm right now is, is pretty, it's pretty challenging for kids. It's challenging for adults. We have huge numbers of rising depression and anxiety, even suicide rates. And that has struck a chord with me because I'm a parent, because I'm now looking forward to the future generation even recognizing within my peers, other educators, that this is a really difficult time for a lot of people. And so what can I do as an educator, as a leader, to bolster the people around me so that they feel like they belong, like they are valued? And I think that I've that's become a really, really important part of my practice is how do I create a sense of belonging? And then how do I release that responsibility to my, my students? And then even through my own example, to my colleagues so that the place that we work, the place in which we work is a, is a healthy place, is a place where we are not kind of on this, this stress-based cortisol infused 
you know, hamster wheel where we're constantly challenging, are we good enough? Are we, are we living up to what we're supposed to be doing? And I think when we can get to that place, then innovation, creativity, all of that comes more easily and our connection, our capacity for empathy. So that's really my big why. That's what education means to me right now. That's a great answer. Um, (laughs) In a nutshell. (laughs) Well, Didn't you just do something about the importance of brevity in your answer, like use fewer I, words? I did. I'm like, this week's blog was on, on was on clarity, yeah, yeah. Um, the shortest joke in the world. Um, yeah. <laughs> but what I loved about that answer was nowhere in it was memorizing and regurgitating facts, mm-hmm. which is what right. my entire experience as a student was through college. And I mean, through college, I I have a math degree that I love to joke. I I never used. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I actually I I, when I laugh, I I look back and I laugh. I can't I I keep forgetting I have a math degree. Like I have a bachelor's (laughs) of science and mathematics. I don't know math better than I did in high school, but apparently I'm qualified. right? Right. That's lunacy. That should not be happening. And I feel like if you talk to most people, I know very few people who can really recall what they learned in their college classes, even if they're in the field of the degree that they got. And very few people are in the field of the degree that they got anymore. So what do you see as the role then currently of education? And uh, and, and maybe more to the point, what's changed? Because you said just over 10 years you've been professionally in the field, right? It used to be 10 years was not long enough for you to see a significant change in a particular industry that would take 30, 40 years. Now it's like a revolution every three years. There, You've probably seen at least two distinct generations of kids now in 10 years, if not two and a half at this point. So what's changed and what do you see the role in education moving forward? Wow. I guess a lot has changed. I think about what on a global scale, like what Jack Ma said at the 2008 Economic Forum, the fact that in order to be more competitive, that we need to be teaching our kids to develop quote unquote soft skills. So we need to to be able to deliver basically beyond what AI can deliver, which is, you know, computational skills, uh, you know, sort of analysis, more of that rational sort of procedural approach. We need to have those soft skills. So I think partly that's our job in education is to build up those those skills for students and enable them to get comfortable with things like collaboration, but like really get comfortable with it. It's not easy to collaborate. It's not easy to put your ego on hold while somebody kind of massages your idea and and makes it more their own and to have that back and forth dialogue where you can, you know, communicate effectively. All of those things, that's a really, really key component of our job now. And I think you mentioned technology earlier, and I actually feel like technology definitely has a place. I use it all the time. It's it's enabled me to get very, very connected to my tribe or the people who, who align with the things that I really believe in, a lot of the people who end up calling me in for professional development. So it's been a huge benefit to me. It's enabled me to find my voice. And like you said, uh, you, you, can, you can do that without having permission from a gatekeeper. So with the internet being so open, being this open source platform as it is, it's the, the opportunities really are limitless. So 
part of our, our job as educators and within the education field, whether in elementary school, middle, high school, or beyond, is really to, to enable students to play within the realm of that new system and to believe that they actually have the potential to follow that thread of curiosity to maybe solve a problem that might be a benefit to the world or to, to dive into something that interests them that could then potentially um, positively impact the world in some way. And I think that that felt like a pipe dream a long time mm -hmm. ago. You know, we often, I remember, you know, when I was graduating, we would talk about in our, in our yearbook, you know, let's change the world. And that mm -hmm. felt like something that was not within reach. And now there is the potential to create movements to impact other people. It's wonderful, but we also need to practice because we're humans and it's really scary to try those things that are new, uh, where we might get it wrong, where we might fail. Mm. And quite often our natural response, especially when it's so open sourced, especially when we feel like sometimes we're standing alone is to feel like it's okay, like we're held by one another. And so, yeah, I think that's part of it, is sort of creating that soft landing for, for kids to make meaningful change. What, what are some of the common misconceptions about being a teacher? I feel like there's always been, you know, every field's got them. When I was a magician, it was, you know, just, oh, God, it's just for kids. Go, <laughs> go find the children, which, you know, I was never a kid's magician ever, which was always so upsetting, you know, just kind of like a, in your clown shoes kind of thing. I feel like, <laughs> especially because you're an elementary school teacher, and I think there's a, there seem to be a lot of misconceptions or at least a lot of stereotypes that go along with, uh, elementary. Have you, have you felt that? Sure, for sure. I think your first question where you asked me, how do I in introduce myself? Mm. I mean, quite often the response is, oh, that's, that's cute. Yeah. And I think people lose interest. And I don't feel like my profession is very cute at all. <laughs> I actually think I've put a lot of, you know, I've, I've put a lot of thought into it. I'm a really cerebral person. I, I really analyze the way that I interact with my little students and, the job that I do, uh, I do with a lot of just, I, I really care deeply for the students in my care. And I think that this is one of the most important jobs. I think quite often people think about, oh, summer's off and there's a, a lot of time off. And, and in Canada, actually, because that's where I'm from, we get paid fair, quite fairly. Mm -hmm. In the US, it's a little bit different. So perhaps because of the the pay discrepancy between say that and someone who works in the public or the, the private sector mm -hmm. in business, that that alone has value and, and creates a sense of value for people when they're evaluating one another, right? So yeah. because you're a teacher, you make less than I do somehow, perhaps it's not as, as valuable or it's not as important. I think that there's a lot of creativity actually, and I, I can't speak to the United States at all, sure. but in Canada and British Columbia, we have a pretty broad curriculum. And then it's up to us to really figure out how we're going to approach it. And so you can have one teacher in a particular classroom doing a particular program and a different teacher doing something completely different. And it can be integrated mm -hmm. or it can be very, very prescriptive. So it's really, I mean, it's a really interesting career, actually. Um, but yeah, there are a lot of misconceptions about it. Yeah, you know, what's interesting is that you don't, you by and I have so many friends that are teachers. You by and large would never in America hear a teacher say that they had freedom to manipulate their plan and do what it, there's. It's 
pretty, you know, pass the test, answer these eight questions correctly, mm-hmm. do this thing. Uh, that, that so so it's interesting that even just being separated by the silly border between America and Canada, mm-hmm. um, what a different field you might be in. And like you said, if you're actually if you're paid fairly, because teachers in America are not paid fairly, like right? they're especially elementary, they're incredibly underpaid, like massively underpaid. And I feel mm-hmm. like people come; they have this amazing ability to compartmentalize the first graders from future adults. And I'm like, no, that. Like, I, I feel like there's this there's this kind of stereotype of like elementary school teachers just like playing with crayons and like sitting on the floor all day. It's like, no, the, those kids don't stay kids like this matters. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think, well, just to piggyback on yeah. that, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, when we think about emotional regulation, so much of that is is internalized from from the beginning, from parents, from those early days. And I think the way that we learn, you know, Dan Siegel is a psychologist and he talks about when kids flip their lid, that's when we kind of lose our capacity to connect to that prefrontal cortex, Mm -hmm. the thinking brain, the empathy brain. When we flip that lid, our job as, as fellow adults for those kids is to help them to to put that lid back on. And so how do we do that? We co-regulate with them, but that takes a lot of calmness that talk, you know, you have to create strategies around self-regulation. And a lot of the research has shown that those children who are exposed to adults in their lives, who are able to co-regulate with them effectively are able to grow into the kinds of adults that can keep their lids on when the company's falling apart or, you know, like these are the skills, the fundamental success skills that we need. And we're learning them when we're five and six. And if we don't learn them at that age, then there are some really big problems. Right. And so I think that is one of the misunderstandings or yeah, around education and our job, because that's a really important piece. And as, as parents too. Mm-hmm. So that, you just pulled me into something I don't normally get to until later in these conversations, but I'm going to skip to it right now because you 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 mm-hmm. just went to it from a different perspective than actually I've I've ever really had a chance to encounter it, which is you talked about finding ways to connect with kids when they like flip their lid and you have this moment, this opportunity to figure out how to bridge the gap and connect with them. Uh, I usually ask everybody I have a chance to ask uh, whose opinion I value and yours is one, which is, you know, how do you connect with someone that you don't understand, whether in general or in this moment? You're doing that with kids. I, I'm usually talking about fully grown adult people that we're having trouble connecting with. What have you learned from connecting with kids that we can extrapolate into the adult world, if 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 anything? Oh, so good. Well, I think, interestingly, so I've been dipping my toe quite quite a bit into the professional development realm, which is essentially teaching other teachers. And what I've realized, actually, is that kids aren't that different from adults. <laughs> and so... So really, I mean, yeah, there are some some basic things on the surface, but but deep down, I mean, we're all the same. We're all afraid of being wrong and and we get emotional. I mean, you see adults when they really care about something uh, and they're comfortable, they sometimes will will react like children, right? I mean, we've all been there. We've all flipped our lids. And I will often talk about that in professional development to access the empathy piece because that's a lot. I mean, I know you talk about perspective taking. That's something that I do as part of the professional development that I do for educators. And to access that empathy for a child who is flipping their lid, I'll say, have you ever flipped your lid before? And then I'll say, what did that look like? 
And then I'll say, what did you need in that moment? And quite often, you know, they'll say, imagine, you know, you've, you've lost your car keys and you're stuck somewhere and you're frustrated. Well, some people will cry. Some people will shut down. Some people will get angry. You know, we have all these different responses that our, our brains tell us to do. And that's, again, it comes from our sort of the, the neural pathways that we've learned for so long. That's how we express our stress, right? And so, um, so essentially when we when we're there, we have different mechanisms that help us to calm down. And so sometimes that's having somebody sit next to us. Sometimes that's somebody uh, just just listening to us. Sometimes we need space. We need to be around nobody. <laughs> um, maybe we need to journal, whatever. And, and right after that, what I'll do is I'll ask the teachers then to think about a student who's flipped their lid and then to reflect whether a sticker chart would be effective whether, you know, like, would that have been an effective strategy for you? And so I think what that does is it just really clearly (laughs) illustrates that we're all the same. We all need the same thing. I mean, different things, but we all need kind of that compassion, that empathy, that space, that ability to process when we're, when we're in that state. And so recognizing that in our students enables us to be just a little bit more patient kind and then have less demands on them. I think that's the thing too, is quite often we have our own demands. We want you to get from A to B by this timeline and your behavior is inconvenient. (laughs) And so I think flipping that a little bit and going, well, you know, let's think about what it's really like to be that child. And quite often the ones who have the most disastrous behavior, I mean, I get frustrated too those are the ones that tend to have the most heartbreaking stories. And so I think when we can tap back into what is their story likely, then we can come at it from a more compassionate standpoint. And I think your initial question was, how does that relate to the people that we connect with? I think that's very relevant if we're in an airport, if we're in Starbucks and they get our order wrong. I think it's if we sit down and we're about to get fired from a job that we really care about. I think it's remembering like this is a person on the other side of the table and they have their feelings, they have their things, they have their armor. And when we can really, really step into what it might be like to to be them right in that moment, it's easier to sort of let our own guard down a little bit and to, yeah, just I think the ego piece it's easier to let the ego go and just observe as opposed to respond. Mm -hmm. And I think when we can come from that place of observation, then we can be more choosy about the way that we respond versus when we allow, yeah, we just allow ourselves to, to do it from the gut. I love that example of just you left that you can't find your car keys. Like for me, like uh, if you're in public and you can't find your phone all of a sudden and you're just like, wait, and and especially when you find it like eight seconds later, but like it's like the longest (laughs) eight seconds of your life, like your heart's pounding. And uh, one of my favorite comedians, Brian Regan, um, did a great bit about this exactly a long, long time ago. It just jogged my memory about that. He did a bit where he's talking about sometimes I don't think adults really take the time to understand what kids are going through. Like when a, a kid, lo- you know, lets go of his balloon and the kid starts crying and you'll see the adult just go like, oh, just stop crying. We'll get you another one. It's just a balloon. He goes, imagine if that was your wallet and you took it out of your pocket and it just started floating away. <laughs> right? No. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like he would freak out. That's what the kid's yeah. going through, right? To yeah. them. Uh, so yeah. I'm I'm really I'm gonna pivot a little bit. I'm really curious about 
you're doing professional development uh, mm-hmm. now, and what comes with that territory is you're pro- at the front of a room with the responsibility and the ownership of the room, probably, if I'm not mistaken, with plenty of teachers out there who are much more experienced than you in terms of mm-hmm. years. How how do you navigate that? Have you fallen into the imposter syndrome? Have you had to deal with that, like that feeling of, you know, I I don't belong here? Like when I transitioned out of magic into speaking and suddenly I was not supposed to be entertaining. I knew I was the only one in the room qualified to entertain because it didn't matter how many years older the audience was. They weren't entertainers. So I was easily yeah. the only one qualified for that. But when I shifted into speaking, now I'm talking to people who've been in business for 30 years and I'm giving them advice. Who the hell am I? Right. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. How's that going? I'm just out of sheer curiosity. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, Okay, so there's I I think I'm I'm always surprised when people say I've listened to your podcast and I love it and they and I don't know them. And I'm like, you're not even my friend and you've been listening. Okay, this is awesome. You know, my friend and Um, my mom. (laughs) So I think I think part of honestly, I think part of what pushes me and what makes me I don't know about great, but what what makes me turn out quality work is the fact that I never rest on my laurels. I never feel like I've got it. And I don't think I ever feel like I'm the expert. I always feel like a learner. And that's exciting to me. So when I come at my pro D, I I always enter the room with a certain amount of vulnerability, understanding that I'm not the sage on the stage. And I'll even say that. I'll say that right outright when I come in because teachers can be harsh critics. We are we can be the worst. Mm-hmm. I remember in university, just quick tangent, we had we were a horrible class to this one professor who just for whatever she just couldn't own the room. And it was brutal. And I just thought, my goodness, we are all heading into this profession and we it was it was bad. And so I know that teachers are are quite discerning in terms of who they'll receive advice from. And so I always come in and I say, I'm not the the expert, but I'm really interested in this topic. And I've done a lot of research about it. And I just want to share it with you. And I remember Simon Sinek, who wrote, you know, Finding Your Why. No, that's not. Start with why. Start with why. Start with why. And um, Leaders Eat Last, which I love. It's a beautiful book. He talked about whenever he gets nervous speaking, he'll say, no, no, this isn't about me, you know, imparting my wisdom. This is about me wanting to share something that might make people's lives a little better, a little easier. And so I come at it from that viewpoint. And then I feel entitled to be there because I think people have generally invited me in or have chosen to be part of it. And then I think what's bolstered me further now is that I've gotten some wonderful reviews and from people who are we're saying this is valuable professional development and we're getting a lot. That's the other piece too, is I think as a teacher, I know what good pro D looks like and I know what bad pro D looks like. (laughs) And so I I really work hard to add value. And, you know, as Tim Ferriss would say to 10 exit and to think like, what could I do to make this a valuable experience? Yeah. Well, that and there's that perspective taking all over again, which is, you know what it's like to sit in the audience, to sit in that room and have somebody who really is either very arrogant and doesn't have anything to back it up or they just have a million slides and they're not very interesting. Or you know what it's like to sit through three hours, five hours, six hours of professional development that is just boring or not helpful or waste. Like we could be doing anything better with our time. So I'm sure that that pushes you to. Uh, to really go 
past that and to to find something that you know to dig down and find something that's that's really worthwhile um i i, I let's we've danced around your your podcast a whole bunch let's let's talk about it where did first of all kind sight mm-hmm. what does that word actually mean i love it okay this is so fun i haven't actually had a chance to talk about it beyond i think i had a little blip about it in my trailer mm-hmm. but kind sight is essentially it came out of me actually searching for a title. And this is the beautiful thing about the podcast fellowship, which is where I created my podcast from beginning to end, is that I came in with a, an idea. And my my website and all of the stuff that I do, it's based around this concept of small act, big impact. And so I went in with the assumption that, of course, my podcast would be called that. And then I got some like mediocre res- like feedback from the people in my cohort. And again, putting ego aside, I went, okay, this isn't a winner. Like this isn't, people aren't loving the idea of small act, big impact as my title for my podcast. Maybe it was a mouthful or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I remember one of the coaches said, you know, what is it like, how can you make it connect to education? Cause this is about education. And so I came up with this idea of kindness, obviously, which is the kind in kind sight and then hindsight and mm-hmm. insight kind of being woven into it because I think good educators have a certain amount of insight into their students, again, back to perspective taking and and empathy and into one another, into the system, into the global sort of sphere. And then the hindsight too is kind of looking back, having that reflective practice within yourself and then being able to do the same with your students and being able to learn from the past. So, and then the one-on-one of course is the education nod. So in a nutshell, that's kind of the vibe of Kindsight 101 is there's the kindness element, mobilizing kindness mm-hmm. as a means to create belonging, but I think also the deep reflective insight and hindsight practices too, which I think it's been a lot of fun. I think there's been a lot around, I think for me, learning around self-care, around mindfulness, around kindness, around the science of how the brain works, how we learn. It's been amazing having all these wonderful, really cool people on the show. It's it's a beautiful show, and uh, you know the for for Thank listeners you. the show notes obviously for this episode will will have all the various links and and the all the books that you had mentioned from Simon Sinek and all these other people and but sure. but but right there in the show notes will be Kindsight you know one hundred one the the podcast itself which is you've had some awesome guests recently by the way too congratulations and Thank you, you were nominated for a Canadian Podcast Award yeah. which yeah. is incredible. that's that's so nuts congratulations thank you yeah it was I mean like I said it's kind of surreal and I think when I have people come up to me and say or email me or or yeah just contact me on social media because I'm quite active on Instagram I like to post every day it's it's kind of a trip it's fun and I think it feels kind of like dress up still a little bit you know it's um but what I what I love is I think what I set out to do was to really impact how people feel and to have a sense of positivity around this, this practice in education, whether whatever kind of teaching and, and, and education you're either a part of or, or you do. And I've had that response. I've had, I feel inspired. I've had, I feel excited about what my next steps are. And that to me is everything. I think I had set my sights on how do I want to feel? How do I want other people to feel when they interact with the work that I do? And that was definitely a part of it. I want them to feel excited and inspired. And so that's been really, really rewarding. So what, what have you learned about kindness from running your podcast? Well, 
I've learned a lot. I think, I think it's confirmed some things for me. So can I tell you a quick story? Okay. So part of the reasons that I first got into education was because I had this amazing, this amazing drama teacher in high school. So my high school went from eighth grade all the way to grade 12. And I remember going in that very first day and he was a super, just a really different kind of guy. He had a British accent. He spoke in metaphors. He ordered these brocade vests that had, they were like a combination of like bad grandma curtains and, you know, couches. They were, they were pretty bad, but, um, he wore them with a lot of flair. He smoked Benson and Hedges cigarettes right outside the classroom door. And he was just super unorthodox. So we walked in in grade eight and he basically greeted us and said, you're going to learn this poem, which happened to be Robert Frost's The Road Not Taken, and you're going to learn to juggle and you're going to perform the two simultaneously in front of your grade eight peers. And we just about died. Like, I don't think there's anything more <laughs> frightening for a grade eight student, you know, you're 12, 13 years old than potentially failing in front of your peers. So he was one who taught me about, he would say, just have to fail gloriously if you're going to fail. So he taught us about failure, um, but he did it with a kind heart and he was always there for us. And I think about my own life. I'm not a, you know, I'm not a stranger to a certain element of trauma in my own life. And so he was always there. Like he found this ability, like he had this ability to just create a sense of, of belonging and safety. And I remember one day I was really going through it and he took one look at me and he walked up to me and this was in grade 11 by this point, so I could drive. And he handed me the keys to his vehicle and like, it still gives me chills. And he said, Mogain, he could never get my name right. Mogain, go and do a loop around the school and come back when you're ready. And so I did. I took his van off school property and took it for a spin. And I came back and I was, you know, my head was cleared and I was ready to go. And that was the kind of kindness that he taught me. And, you know, when I graduated, I wrote him a letter of gratitude and just poured my heart out to him. And we stayed in touch after graduation. Several years later, he he let me know that he, um, he had terminal cancer. That was really, really hard. And I remember one time he asked me to come to his house because he couldn't, he wasn't able to meet me anywhere. And his wife opened the door to his house and I walked in and I walked down the long hallway and there framed on the wall was my letter. And what I think that moment taught me is the reciprocal nature of kindness, that it doesn't matter what age you are. doesn't matter how much power you have, how much money, your influence, any of that, that you have the ability to make a tremendous impact on the trajectory of somebody's life, no matter where you're at, just because you want to. And you might not even know the seed that you plant. And I think that same lesson continues to be a thread through my podcast. I see it with my guests and I see it the way that they mobilize others to be the best versions of themselves. And I feel continually inspired to, to, to really push that out into the world because man, we need that right now. We need that. And I think our little students, whatever this world becomes, they need to know that our humanity is contagious right? So yeah, that's what that's taught me and it continues to teach me. Do you have a professional experience Mm -hmm. of a a chance encounter story that you'd like to share? 
Can I tell you the Seth one? Yeah, please. By all means, I love I love me a good Seth story. I love yeah. how people collide with <laughs> Seth. It's it's fascinating. <laughs> well, okay, it's one actually where I I still harbor a little bit of shame around it, but I think uh, I think it's a healthy dose, so it's okay. It's I'm humbling. so excited. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I'd mentioned that I'm a mom, and I think you know throughout my career so far i was i was happy to just be a teacher and always had this vision of being a mom for you know stay at home mom for 10 years and i tried it on for a little while and i just had this like hunger i can't describe it as anything else but a hunger to have have more maybe in my life that uh it satisfied my own creative kind of need right and so I started reading and I started listening to podcasts and I discovered Tim Ferriss and I discovered Murray Forleo. And I remember I going love for a Marie. Walk. Can I just I insert that? Her. She is such a rock yeah. star. Okay, go oh, on. I love her. And I don't think enough people know about her. And she's so amazing. I, I've tried probably two to three times already to get her on yeah. my show. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. <laughs> okay, keep building that hexagon yeah, right? and then build me in there. Seth, if you're listening... <laughs> All right, go ahead. Ditto. Yeah, ditto. <laughs> um, and she's always so gracious, or her team yeah. is anyway. Yeah, uh, yeah. So anyway, so I remember, I mean, this was before though. And I just, I, I didn't, I live in Victoria, BC. I don't know anybody famous or I haven't until now. So it felt very like a faraway land, honestly. And I remember walking with my kids, listening to the Marie Forleo podcast, earbuds in, kids are napping in the stroller, whatever. And it was a beautiful fall day. And she interviewed Seth Godin and I didn't know anything about him. And it was like he was speaking to me directly. He was talking about choosing to leave a legacy behind that makes you feel proud, the trail behind you that you feel proud about. He was talking about the fact that we, you know, you just need to pick yourself, that it is, you know, you're, we don't have to be stuck in perfection. We just have to give it a try and ship and be proud of the work that you're doing and generous with your work. And I just, I remember literally stopping on that path going, oh my gosh, I, I, I need to consume everything this person has written, <laughs> all of his podcasts. This was before he even had the Akimbo yeah. podcast out. And I got all his books out, bought his books on Amazon basically consume them. And then not long after that, he started the Akimbo podcast. And I remember he had that open, that open call for questions. And I was like, okay, pick yourself. So I asked him a question and it was hot off the heels of Warren Buffett's letter to his stakeholders. And he talked about in there, the, one of the most important leadership skills was storytelling. And honestly, I, until probably about a year ago, I always zoomed to the punchline. Like I did not feel comfortable storytelling. I felt like I was an imposter and it was a really, really uncomfortable place to be. So I asked Seth about that on his podcast and went back on my walk the next week. And what do you know, there was my voice on his freaking podcast and I just about lost my mind. I remember my ears or my eyes swelling with tears. <laughs> um, I don't know what was happening with my kids, but I was in my own little land. And it just felt like this, I don't know. I don't know. It just felt really powerful. It was a momentous occasion. Uh, and then he did his email not long after for the podcast fellowship. And I was a huge fan of Tim Ferriss, wanted to do my own podcast, but it really did feel far away. It felt like a pipe dream. But then I went, 
okay. And I, I signed up and I remember reaching out to guests like big unattainable guests, people like Adam Grant, people like Jeff Bezos's brother, Mark Bezos, who's known, he's a firefighter and he believes in, you know, serving others. And so I thought, why not? And in the title, or I think it was the intro paragraph I had written, I'm launching a podcast and I didn't say with Seth Godin, but I mentioned Seth's name (laughs) thinking, ah, I, I really am not a name dropper, but I thought well, it's, with, it's within the realm. Well, the next day I get an email from Seth Godin <laughs> saying, my apologies if we weren't clear, but you really need to do this for your, you know, out of your own volition. And I, like he had essentially had a conversation with a colleague who had received an email from me. And I was like, oh my gosh, I felt yanked out of my own life and into this other life. And I thought, oh my gosh, these are real people. (laughs) Like it just felt like, holy, this is real life. And I was devastated because I thought I respect this person so much and his perception of me must be horrendous that I'm just name dropping. And I, and that is not who I am. And I emailed him back and I apologized and I said, wasn't my intention. And he was very gracious and said, onward, can't wait for you to be in this class with us. And after that moment, I just poured everything I had into the podcast fellowship. I loved the process, met so many wonderful people, created my own podcast. And at the end, Seth emailed me and he said something along the lines of, I'm in awe. And part of why this podcast fellowship is what it is, is because of how you have poured your heart into it. And he said, if you ever need anything, let me know. Well, (laughs) Uh, I reached out to him the next week and and he came on my show and he's asked me to coach for him. And so I think at the end of the day, the first impressions, um, yeah, the first impressions don't always have to be that, that first impression, but he was so gracious with me and, and just allowed me to have that second chance to really prove who I was, I think. And it's been, yeah, a really amazing relationship. And I'm always very, very grateful to him for yeah, for stepping out of, I don't know, make-believe land into real life. <laughs> yeah. You know, that that in and of itself, when it comes to Seth, and uh, I, I was, whenever I bring on someone who I met from that world, I try, I try not to dive too deep into like Seth land mm-hmm. during, because not everybody mm-hmm. is in that, you know, in that, mm-hmm. uh, that world. But the thing about him, even if those listening have never experienced his work or collided with him or have never even heard of him in any way, uh, I have learned more from him by simply the way he is with people than from 19 books that I've read and dozens of hours of, you know, interviews I've watched of him and speeches and like the 30 seconds or a minute that I bumped into him in an airport, the way he was with me, who was a total stranger in a freaking airport at that point, his being so gracious and open and empathetic and kind and, and not rushing me along that changed my life more than all of his work, which mm-hmm. had already had a profound impact on my life. So I, 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 as you're telling that, just all I can do is smile as you're telling that whole story because of course he gave you a second chance and of course he moved on from that. And of course, right, because that's who he is. Mm-hmm. And what I always think of with him is if you can be that famous and that successful and still be that guy, 
then I have no excuse for not being that guy. Right. Right. So, um, okay, let's let's pivot on into uh, into the end here. So that actually perfectly steers me into the arc of the last kind of six to eight months of what I've been really interested in, which is the role of luck in success. Mm-hmm. Um, I've become obsessed with this um, because the and it's come out of the podcast. When I started this podcast, which now has a new title, but same theme, when it was one new person, I was bringing people on to tell me those kind of stories, chance encounters. And I started to find the more successful someone was, define success however you like, right? The more successful someone was, the more stories of chance encounters, lucky moments, right, good fortune they had. And I started to wonder, is there something about successful people that they're doing unconsciously that makes them more likely to be lucky, right? Or or is it because they were lucky that they got successful? Like, which way is it, right? And so I've been asking everybody for the last six months on the podcast, do you believe in luck? So let's start there. Do you believe in luck? Yeah, I think <laughs> I think there's something really fun about the fact that maybe there's there's some things that are out of your control, a certain synchronicity that happens, coincidence perhaps that happens that enables you to step into that potential that you've been working toward for so long. And I think what's really exciting about it is quite often it's a surprise to you. And some of the skill sets that I think I built as a child, I didn't even know that I would sort of put them to use now. Mm. I can think back to grade 11 when I did little sort of professional development type things with my peers and I'd have a hundred girls that I'd be doing this self-esteem workshop with like what and then I see myself doing this now and I'm like it's not that different so yeah I feel like we're kind of steered and it feels very woo-woo to even say that but Mm -hmm. yeah I, I guess it's kind of fun to think about the fact that there's an element of luck and coincidence and and it can line up it can line up for you if you I think the thing is too if you don't shut it down before you even try if that makes sense. That mm-hmm. so that that's my follow up which is if you do believe in luck do you believe it's possible to deliberately be lucky to increase your own luck or increase your odds of being lucky and 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 if so what what would you tell someone and th- this will I, I think this is going to be the final question really what what would you tell someone who's a young professional that's mostly who my listeners are young adults young professionals uh looking to build sustainable careers in an unpredictable and increasingly unpredictable world what advice would you give them to build that success or to increase their odds of having these incredible lucky moments and chance encounters. Great. I'm going to lean heavily on Liz Gilbert, big magic. I'm going to say, number one, you need to be able to follow your curiosity because there's a certain element of curiosity that leads you to where you are most interested, which means that you're probably going to have the most endurance when it comes to overcoming the hard adversity around whatever it is that you choose to do. So that's one. Two, I'd say don't ask for that curiosity to pay the bills right out the gate. And I know that this is something that is often talked about with creatives, but, and I know even with your, you've talked about this, 
If you do that, I think it sucks the energy, the passion right out of whatever project you're doing right in its infancy stage before you even know what it is. So find the job that you need to do to pay the bills and then let your curiosity guide the passion project that perhaps will kind of step you into that calling job, the job that really lights you up. It's just a patience game. And then the third thing is done is better than perfect. I think that sometimes we have to just follow that thread, do it to the best of our ability within the hours that we have in a day, and then call it done. And be proud of the fact that it's a completed project or task or whatever it is. Um, That's been one of the biggest, most important mantras in my life. Done is better than perfect. So that's what I'd say. I think that's a terrific answer and a a really great place to end. I could talk to you for hours. Uh, I'm sure we will continue talking uh, about all these things over the years. Um, Before I let you go, where would you like people uh, to go find you right away? I'll have all the links in the show notes, but where, where would you like them to go find you? You can just search for me on my website, smallactbigimpact.com, and I'm on social media, smallactbigimpact. Thank you for sharing that, and um, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll stay in touch, I'm sure. Brian, thank you so, so much for having me on the show. It's been such a joy, and I can't wait to connect with you, yeah, over the coming years. It'll be fun. Isn't Morgan wonderful? Before you listen to our pandemic addendum, and remember, subscribe for free to the community email at beyondnetworkingpodcast.com, and trust me, it's worth it. Here are a few takeaways from this episode. First, technology is here to stay, and it's up to leaders in every industry, education included, to figure out how to leverage it for success. Anybody who finds themselves saying, well, we've always done it this way, is going to get left behind. Check the current situation if you're not convinced. Second, if you find it difficult to understand what kids are going through, apply the same strategies to yourself and see how you'd respond. We're not so different, kids and adults. We both have hopes, desires, worries, and concerns. Figuring out the best way to help a child is the same process for an adult. Tactical empathy and perspective taking. And finally, humanity is contagious. If there's anything the 2020 pandemic has taught us, it's how truly connected we all are. The same chain that enables a virus to spread across continents and cultures also enables kindness. Every interaction is meaningful, and every person you meet is important, even virtually. For more about Morgan and her podcast, Kindsight 101, including my episode, head to the show notes of this episode on beyondnetworkingpodcast.com. You'll also find social links so you can connect with her on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. The Beyond Networking podcast is free of external ads and sponsors, always. But, of course, there are a number of ways to support us without spending a dime. You can leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe to the community email list. And most importantly, you can share an episode with the VIPs in your life. And remember to use hashtag Beyond Networking on social so we can find you and thank you. For those interested in the Leadership Mastermind, head to brianmillerspeaks.com slash discovery and click the appropriate button to schedule a call with me. I can't wait to meet you. That said, 
My name is Brian Miller. This is Beyond Networking, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.